This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in your weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I'll just use that as an introductory scripture. Paul is giving us a vision of what church should be like. He's establishing a reality. And it's quite interesting because what he says is when I come and I'm in a place and the expectation is for me to deliver, I've got to a point in my relationship with God where it's not important for me what I say to you And my words are not nearly as consequential as you encountering the Holy Spirit. Because when you encounter him, he's going to touch your life and he's going to change you in ways that are going to be dramatic, that are going to be profound, and that you will leave here knowing that you've had an encounter. It's interesting because you look at some of what he has to say. And it's different to where we are because he says, I come to you in fear and trembling. It wasn't because he was afraid. What he's talking about, he's talking about a reverential awe. He's coming with the understanding that I can give you good words and I can give you deep insight. I can tickle your understanding or I can get to the place where I recognize the fact that if the Holy Spirit doesn't do something in this place, nothing happens. And so I come in with a reverential awe, recognizing that I can't deliver. He has to. Because if he doesn't deliver, I can't do it. I come in with fear and trembling because I'm waiting. I'm living in the expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to do something. Why is it important for the Holy Spirit to do something in your life? Because your your faith, that which defines the life that you move forward, is not going to be established through what you know. It's going to be established through what he does in you. We missed it. Because our propensity as human beings is to develop and stroke our understanding. And we bring that into the church and we're always looking for a new revelation. We're looking for a new insight. We're looking for God to touch us in a way that stimulates our intellect. And he says all of that is inconsequential. He said if you're going to build your faith, you've got to build it on something that I'm going to do in your life. And it's not going to come through your head. It's going to come through your heart. So he paints and starts to paint a vision for what I believe is the direction that God is taking us back to authenticity of church.
I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled, If You Play in the Rain, You're Going to Get Wet. If you play in the rain, you're going to get wet. When Colton was born, we waited a number of years before we had kids. I was ancient, ancient when we had kids. I think I was 40. But parenthood changed everything because we had somebody new in our life. Your life is no longer your own. Become a parent and you will discover that. I will tell you when I want to be fed and I'll tell you when I want to be changed. I'll tell you when I want to get up and I'll tell you when I want to go to sleep. I'll tell you when I'm not happy and I'll tell you when I need attention. I'll tell you when I want food and I'll tell you when I've had enough. Your life is not your own. And you're happy to surrender it of what you gained. Your life is no longer your own because somebody moved into your life. Christ Think about that for a minute. Christ moved into your life. God of the universe. The God who said light be. And light came into existence 186,000 miles a second. God who said, you know what? It's great man in our image. Let's create a domain for man to live in. Sea and skies be. Heavens be. Stars be. Planets be. And they were. And he said, you know what? I'm coming to live inside you. How significant and consequential is that in your life? We give more attention to our family than we do to the life of God. When was the last time you sat and you considered what is inside of you and you thought, God is in me for a reason. He's in there for a purpose. Have I connected with him? Somebody moved into my house. Have I taken the time to go and introduce myself? To speak to him? To find out what he thinks and who he is and what his ideas are? To maybe let him rearrange the furniture a little bit. When was the last time I engaged the person who moved into my home? But we go through life aware of the fact that I'm born again and my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. I go through life living every day in rote, in rapid formation, the way that things happen yesterday, today and tomorrow. And I don't consider consequential it is that the life of God is in me why did he put it inside of you
Jesus says, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, we worship, we praise, we extol you. Be your name. Thy kingdom come. Where is his kingdom coming? Where is his kingdom coming? The kingdom is. Thy kingdom come. So that thy will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a reason his kingdom is coming. There is a reason his life is on the inside of you. How consequential is that to us? In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am in you, and you are in me. And Paul, it was the mystery, it was the mystery that Paul was trying to make known to the Gentiles. It was a mystery. Do you know what the word mystery means? Do you know what the definition of mystery means? It is difficult or impossible to understand. It's difficult or impossible to understand. What God is saying is, if you think in your finite comprehension that you have the ability to touch those things and have comprehension of those things that are supernatural and that are mystical, you're going to put yourself in a compromised place. You see, what we do as Christians is we've been taught to understand. We've been taught to build our intellect. We've been taught to build our knowledge base of what we know about the scripture. And so what ends up happening is that we establish parameters for my life. And as long as I understand it, I will play there. As long as I understand it, I will live in that space. But God says, no. If you want to experience the mystery if you want to experience the supernatural and if you want to partake of those things that are of him, you have to get comfortable in the fact that you may not understand and in fact it may be impossible for you to understand some of that stuff. Can you live in that place? The reason that the church is so boring is because the church has been built up in our understanding and our intellect. And what we offer the world is come and we will tell you about God that we know and we understand. The world doesn't want the God that you understand. The world wants the God that you cannot comprehend. The world wants the God who is beyond anything that you can imagine or consider. They want the God that is beyond anything that you can comprehend and that you can put into your intellect. They want something beyond your intellectual gymnastics. They want a God that is mysterious. I don't understand how it's possible for him to do something like that, but it happened. Now we're playing in church territory. Church should be the most exciting time of your week. Why? Because I get to come and play with the mysterious. I get to come and play with the supernatural. And I never know what God is going to do. If your church service is predictable, perhaps... It's because we don't have enough spirit. 
I'm not pointing fingers at other people. I'm pointing fingers at me. Church would be the most exciting time. Because that which is supernatural and that which has to do with God is on evidence and display. And it may be in ways that we least expect and it will definitely be in ways that you cannot comprehend and you may not be able to define and you probably won't understand it. But none of that matters because something happened and I changed. And so we have a choice. How we want to live our lives. The road you take will determine the destination. The road you take determines your destination. John 6.63 says, It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying if you want to live in comprehension and you want to live in understanding, if you want to live in a space where you can define God and how he works and how he should work, it leads to nothing. He's saying, I'm telling you what the end outcome is. You're not going anywhere. But, but, if you prepare to take the road of spirit, it leads to life. What does life mean? And what does life look like? How does life change us and transform us? It takes the things of God which are conceptual and which give us, which pepper our thoughts and create opportunity for us to see the things of God. It gives them life and invigorates them. Revelation will stimulate your intellect. Revelation will stimulate your imagination. Revelation will stimulate your understanding. But the Spirit gives it life. If you want to live in the intellect, you will always miss God's design. We cannot do the things of God. Only he can do them. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And in verse 1, he says to him, Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, Pharisee, comes to Jesus by night and he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, but that's not the point that he wants to underline. That's not the point where he's emphasizing. What he's saying is, I know that you're a teacher who's come by God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. That's his point. It's not about teaching. He was in a space where he was a teacher. He was a Pharisee. He recognized the revelation that, that, that Jesus brought and he appreciated that. It wasn't that he was dissing it in any way. But he was saying, I get what you're doing. But tell me more about the signs and the things that you do. Talk to me about the wonders that are taking place in your life. And Jesus answers him and he says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen to what he says. He says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He didn't say you won't get to heaven. 
This scripture is not about the life of God coming to dwell on the inside of you. In, in terms of being born again and going to heaven. He's not talking about heaven now. He's sitting saying to him, you're a person who understands spiritual things. You're a Pharisee, you're a ruler. You understand spiritual stuff. What he's saying to him is this, I need for you to understand something. If you want to walk into the things that I do and, and the miracles that characterize who I am and what it's all about, you need to understand this, that those things only come about as a result of being born again. What is born again? You won't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. How, and Nicodemus, how can a man get born again into one sentence? And Jesus answered and he says, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of the water and born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What is he saying to Nicodemus? He was saying to him, I need for you to understand this. The reason that the kingdom of God is going to come is because the kingdom of God is that which is the doorway into the supernatural, that which is the doorway into the mysterious, that which is the doorway into the things of God. The thing is you cannot see that unless you are born again. What he's saying to him is the things that you can do, Nicodemus, don't put you at a place where you can recognize and you can walk into the things of God. You have to let the spirit do something on the inside of you because what's born on the inside of you needs to come from me. It needs to come from the Holy Spirit. It needs to be something that's birthed in you that has its very nature and its life in the things that are of God. And unless it's of that, you'll never realize it because what's born on the inside of you, that is spirit, will introduce you to kingdom and will introduce you to life but if anything's born on the inside of your flesh it leads to nothing that's what he's telling him he's introducing him to something new and he's sitting saying to him I need for you to give definition to the things in your life and recognize that if you want to walk into the things of me all of that stuff is born out of spirit it's not born out of flesh If you turn to John chapter 5, verse 39, it says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are those which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. We are very methodical in the way that we have a tendency to approach scripture. We're mechanical. We're technical. We want to dissect. We want to cut it into its pieces. We want to have a look at the etymology. And we want to have a look at the Hebrew and the Greek roots. We want to analyze. Because it introduces us to doctrine and establishes theology. And there is a place for that. Bible study has its place. But if you stop at Bible study, you miss the point. Because the point is the person. The point is the person. 
The problem with it is what we've ended up doing is we've got to the place where we've studied Bible so that we've filled our understanding. We've filled our knowledge base. We've filled our comprehension of what it's all about. And people are prepared to sit down and debate and analyze with you and talk about it. And we'll get all the different denominations together and we'll all have a little powwow and everybody will get into the mix and everybody will throw in their ideas and we'll see where we end up. And none of it does anything. None of it does anything. Why? Because it never took me personally into an encounter with the divine author. Unless I meet with the divine author, nothing happens. Nothing happens. most common theme of fictional books is love and romance. Because there's something about falling in love that is so intriguing to people. So appealing. See, when you fall in love, you meet this person and it just changes your life. All of a sudden, they come into your world and you can't stop thinking about them. And you get a bit ditzy. And you do things that you sometimes would never do. And you dream about them. And you buy them little gifts and you send them little cards. and Because your life is consumed with what it is to be in love with somebody. To have somebody else as a part of your life that you're so in love with. You're so raptured about. You're so in awe of. And it's like, wow. And people take that experience because it's so attractive and appealing. And we write about it. And we write about how I felt in those moments. And we speak about how it affected me and how it went deep into the very heart of who I am. How it touched my most intimate parts of my being. How I feel for that person, how they're a part of me and I'm a part. And we talk about all of these things. And people read romance books. And they read about it. And they understand it. And they gain a picture and an idea of what it's all about. The challenge with it is, no matter how much I dissect it, no matter how much I begin to analyze it, no matter how much I really understand and have you be, am able to present you a concept of what the deepest and most intimate part of love is all about, it never introduces me to an encounter. Why? Because when you fall in love, the encounter lives in your heart, not in your understanding. It doesn't matter how much you understand it. Understanding is never going to get you to a place where you have the encounter. It's not a part of your understanding. It's a part of your heart. You fall in love and you begin to realize everything that you understood means nothing in comparison to what that is all about. Why does God give us his word? Not so that we can analyze it and intellectualize it. He gives us our word, his word and he gives us revelation because the Holy Spirit takes that and what he begins to do is he paints a picture to us of who Christ is. What he's doing is he's extending an invitation to us to sit and say, look at this. 
And when you see that, what ends up happening is it bursts in me a hunger for those things. It's important to have that. But that's where it ends. Because once you have the hunger, you have to have the spirit that gives it life. Because if you don't have the spirit that gives it life, you'll live in your head and not your heart. You see, it's the spirit who takes the things that you're looking for in life, the things that you're holding on to, and it's, it, it is coming to a place of recognizing who he is and what he's all about, where we come to a point of surrender and we sit and say, Holy Spirit, I'm so hungry for that. I'm so hungry. Give it life. lives in our intellect. All that ever happens is that we live in reformation. We never get to sample transformation. Your understanding can reform you, but only the spirit will give you transformation. There are things that happen in our lives that surpass our understanding. Can we come to the place of surrender? There is a place where when you recognize the value of the Spirit, you will go out and you will play in the rain of the Spirit. And when you play in the rain, you get wet. You didn't have to do anything. You just had to go and play. You want to know what worship is about? Worship. And Alex stole my message. I'm not the last time I'm sending in my notes. <laughs> Why is worship important? Because it's not about the song. It's not about the melody. Worship is important because it takes an aspect of the nature of Christ. And it sits and reveals it to us. And as we get to that place where we begin to recognize who he is, and as we extol that, as we give it worth and we value that, and we put our lives in submission to that, and we stand in awe and reverence and we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and make that alive on the inside of us, we are changed. Not because you've got it established in you. You want to know why worship is important? It's because it's transformational. Because the Spirit's going to do some things in your life that the flesh cannot do. Put yourself in the rain. If you don't get in the rain, you don't get wet. If you get in the rain and you play, you can get soaked. Get to that place where we recognize that things are happening beyond my comprehension. Things are happening from God's point of view and he loves dabbling in the way that he likes to play, which is supernatural. And it is totally inconsequential to God whether you understand it or not. But you will leave changed. You will leave changed. In Genesis 1, it talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth. And the earth was without form. And it was empty. And it wasn't darkness. 
What was he waiting for? He was waiting for a word from God. He was waiting for God to say, light be. And he was like, there's my word. And what did he do? He took light and he gave light expression. He created it in a space that was empty and void and in darkness. And all of a sudden light was. Why? Because that's his job. The father initiates. The son is the one who fulfills. The Holy Spirit is the one who actions. When man had run off and couldn't do anything, the father said, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Jesus, you want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> but you're going to implement. Holy Spirit, you're going to action. Everything that Christ fulfilled, what ended up happening, the Holy Spirit is hovering over your heart. And there might be places of your heart that right at the moment are without form and are empty and are in darkness because the kingdom has not come and established itself in that area of your life. He's waiting. He's waiting on the word because the moment that he gets a word from God, the moment that you come in contact with the revelation of something, he sits and says, that's it. And that's my cue. I'm to take that and I'm to get that established on the inside of you. That's what he does. He's looking for opportunity for creation. Don't touch. Don't touch. Second Samuel chapter 6. David is moving the Ark of the Covenant. The very presence of God. And they're moving the presence of God from one place to another. Something happens. It's a jostle. And Uzzah, his name in Hebrew means her strength. Uzzah reached out to stabilize the presence. And he struck dead. Don't touch the things of God. God doesn't need your strength and God doesn't need your ability. And the moment you touch the things of God, it results in death, not life. Keep your hands to yourself. It's learning a new way of dealing with the life that's on the inside of him. It's getting to that place where I can get beyond my distractions and beyond my intellect and I can get down deep with presences. And I can connect with that and allow that to begin to influence and have expression in my life. He begins to do things and changes things in your life and you know not how. Mark chapter 4, I think it's Mark chapter 4 verse 27, I think. Mark 4, 27. I better give you the right one in case you think I'm telling you nonsense. Mark, Mark 4, 27. What is he doing? He's talking about the establishment of the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom getting established. And what does he say? He says, it starts as a seed. And it begins to grow. And it begins to develop. And what happens? And I know not how. Five of the most powerful words in the Bible. And I know not how. He is not looking for your ability to understand it. God is sitting saying to us, I need for you to come to a place where you recognize that 
you host the presence on the inside of you. You have the power of God on the inside of you. And he's going to do some stuff in your life. But the thing is, I don't need your understanding and I don't need your contribution to make it happen. I want you to get to the place where we recognize the fact that what he's doing, I can reverence and I can respect and I can facilitate. It's learning how to partner with God. It's learning how to partner with God. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 4. I'm lying. Matthew 18 verse 3. It says, unless you become as little children... You will not enter the kingdom of God. You know what's so powerful about children? They're not too old to dream. The thing about children is that they can embrace mystery and run with it. The problem with adults is our lives are defined by reason. And so we kill that which is a dream. We kill that which is the supernatural. We kill that which is a mystery. Why? Because if I can't understand it, it can't be real. If I can't understand it, I'm not prepared to embrace it. If I can't understand it, I'm not prepared to step beyond the threshold of where the limitations of my understanding are. And God's sitting saying, I need you to come to a place of faith of trust in me, where you sit and say, Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for what you're doing in me. I want to thank you that I recognize the fact that what's flesh is flesh and what's spirit is spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're building and establishing something new on the inside of me that changes my paradigm and my perspective of life, that introduces me to the opportunity to take that and extend it and give evidence so that it becomes heaven on earth. He's doing something on the inside of who we are so that we can change the world around us. People don't want to see us. People want to see him. People aren't interested in how moral we are. They want to see his glory. There are plenty of people in the world who are pretty moral. Moral is not enticing. The glory is. I can't replicate the glory. All I can do is learn how to partner with him so that it evidences and manifests itself through my life. So there is a transition that we're coming to. The reason I'm speaking about this is because it becomes a foundational principle for what God is doing in living faith. And it's important that we all get on the same page because God is going to start to do some stuff in here and he doesn't want you to wobble because you don't understand it. As long as it feels right, It'll be okay. Open your life and give the Holy Spirit permission to begin to do some things in your life and in your world that transcend your understanding. Understand that establishing the kingdom on the inside of you doesn't come through your understanding. It comes through surrender to who he is. It comes when I recognize that Holy Spirit... 
I worship you, not only in this moment, but in my lifestyle. Reveal to me aspects of the Christ and who he is. And build that hunger on the inside of me so that I live in anticipation and expectation that you touch the inside of me and you make that a reality. You establish it inside of me because it redefines who I am. I don't have time to do this right now, but I want to leave you with this thought. The things that characterize the heart are not things that characterize the intellect. It doesn't matter how much you think about something, you cannot instill courage on the inside of yourself. You cannot build peace on the inside of yourself. You cannot build joy on the inside of yourself. Those are things that are resident and they're inside of our heart. The thing about it is we're dependent on the Holy Spirit for that because unless the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to change, I'm just giving you some silly examples. Well, not, they're not silly, but they, they're simple examples. Unless the Holy Spirit comes in and does that work on the inside of us, I can't get there. He's changing who we are because we live from that place. When the fundamentals of your heart change, when peace comes and begins to define who you are, it saturates every part of your being. It, it, that's like it's, it just grows and it, it's like the DNA of everything. It'll affect your thinking. It'll affect your emotions. It'll affect your disposition. It'll affect your mood. That's why your heart's so important. That's why the Holy Spirit is after our heart because he's saying, I can touch the fundamentals of who you are. And when I touch the fundamentals, it's like changing the root. Everything else begins to change and flourish. your hands out. Father, I want to thank you for every person that's here today and everybody who's watching it. And in this moment, Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. ask you Holy Spirit to touch every person in a deep and dramatic way by putting our hands up we surrender to you Holy Spirit and I ask you that through this week you do things in on the inside of each one of us that defies our understanding. Make us comfortable with the supernatural. Build up a hunger for the mysteries. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the truth that you're building into every person now. That it's permanent and transformational. We thank you for your abiding presence.
that never leaves us. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. You've told us simple. You've told us to be like children. You tell us, seek, and we will find. I pray as people begin to honor your presence and begin to seek to touch the life of God that's on the inside of them. That you manifest yourself to them. That you reveal yourself to them. Bless you for it now. In Jesus' name.